0: I over
1: my love over him, oh. yeah uh-huh. Judge a blessing with the brightest light And I shine upon you, them blind Cause we lay a self for truth and right Lay a self for truth and right And until the day that my soul takes flight Babylon will hear my voice Cause we lay a self truth and right
0: Welcome to another episode of Checkmate, a political podcast from Tenement Yard Media. You can follow us on Twitter at Tenement Yard Media underscore, and you can also visit our website at TenementYardMedia.com. I'm the host for this episode. My name is Paige, and in this episode, we will be speaking with Ashley Burnett, the founder of Feminite. Um, In addition to being the founder of Feminate, Ashley is the chairwoman of Caribbean Women in Leadership, the Trinidad and Tobago chapter, and she is a Women Deliver Fellow. Additionally, Ashley was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, She is an arts educator, a poet, a gender activist, um, and a recent graduate. So, Congratulations to you, Ashley, and thank you so much for joining me to chat today.
1: Thank you so much. And I'm honestly, genuinely excited to have this conversation and to be here again.
0: Thank you. Um, Can you just start off by discussing very broadly and maybe defining for our listeners what period poverty is and the issue of period poverty in the Caribbean? okay
1: so period poverty um in its simplest form deals with the affordability of period products so it's the inability for persons that menstruate to be able to afford period products but over the years um you know we've been looking at how period poverty doesn't just exist in that bracket of just affordability but there are many various issues that contribute to period poverty so the lack of education. The lack of having water and sanitation and hygiene facilities that really allow people to take care of themselves um, during that time of the month. And so in the Caribbean, what we've realized is that there are so many gaps, there's so many um, unfortunate ways that period is looked at. One, the issues that are rooted in religion and many. religious backgrounds, believe that menstruating, that blood is unclean. And so it makes you unclean during that time of the month. Um, There's also the lack of education for persons to really understand what their cycle is about. And Mm -hmm. so um, we conducted a Twitter chat um, some months ago, and we partnered with WeChange Jamaica to, to do that Twitter chat. And for the responses, what we've realized was that there were a lot of people who were never actually taught about their periods before it happened. And so it just sort of happened, and then your parents or your caretaker will then tell you, oh yeah, this is your period, this is how you take care of yourself. Um, but then um, there are people who look at period as being more of a gender issue rather than a health issue. And so that the way that it's tackled is, is in a silo where, um, one, you don't see it happening in school. So you don't get that inclusion in your um, in a comprehensive sexuality education curriculum, mm-hmm. if there is one, because we know that's real shaky in some places. Um, and so they don't see it as a health issue. It's never at the forefront when you hear about health care and, you know, the whole, like looking at COVID-19, the pandemic, and looking at when nations speak about building back better and examining the issues at hand, you never, ever hear about period poverty. And sure. it's something that um, is rooted in people, one, still treating it as a secret and as a women's issue and not a health issue. And um, also thinking is an issue of gender. So it excludes various people. Mm -hmm. And also in times people don't examine these issues with a gender lens. And so it just goes haywire um, when solutions are made. So you find people, instead of rooting their activism or their work in one, raising awareness, education, even though that's not all, um, but just thinking that I can give someone a pad a box of pads every month, and that's going to solve the problem. But it's not because then, one, it's not sustainable. And secondly, that person um, doesn't have adequate education about themselves, about their bodies to really know if something's wrong, um, how they can actually um, be able to get the right help yeah. from the state, from NGOs to then no longer have the issue of period poverty.
0: Yeah. And I think that education alone just isn't enough. Like Mm -hmm. I, I remember going to primary school in Jamaica and I, it was like, Oh, this is how you put a pad on your underwear, but no one really educated you as to what it was about. And just for me personally, like I had my period on my first day of eighth grade. And for those listening, Mm -hmm. I went to immaculate. So I wore a white skirt with a white slip to school. Yes. You're gasping. I was traumatized. Um, mm-hmm. but again, I was at least, you know, afforded the comfort of being in a school where there were a lot of resources, etc. But not a lot of people mm-hmm. have that. So even just that simple education of this is how you do it is still not enough to prepare you. And some people are lucky to even get that very simple thing. For a lot of yeah. women, unfortunately, getting a period is a surprise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it was for me sorta of too, because um and, and the thing is, is that I, I grew up with my with my older sister and my ever twin sister and my mom, my, my father left when we were one. So imagine being in a in a home where it's primarily women, but still not knowing the nitty gritty of, of menstruating, right? Um, it came when I was, when I entered high school. I think it was either when I was in standard five. So um, before I entered high school, or it was when I just ended high school on my mother's birthday, I went to pee and I just saw the blood and I cried on the toilet and she was excited. And I'm just confused because, you know, yeah, I do not know. And then um, just being, I mean, when I was in primary school, there were so many people who started their period, right? And the way how it was dealt with, like, they were, like teachers would take the girl out of the classroom to carry her wherever, um, to, to help. But when we had conversations, like when, um, those period product brands will come in school, they would have all the girls in the hall, hall lock up. Right. Um, and all the boys were left to go play in the Savannah, go play football and stuff. And some of them will come to peep through the cracks in the doors to see what's happening. So they were like (laughs) that separation, um, and so they always would laugh if a girl messes, because our PE skirts, our physical education skirts, were also white. You wear a white skirt why would and a they white, do
0: that to like young why? women, exactly.
1: Why? And like there were times where girls would mess their clothes, and boys would laugh. Like I don't. Like, it was just so traumatic. It's so, yeah, right. Oh. Um, but yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of shame and secrecy. Um, and that's just one of the barriers addressing, mm-hmm. you know, um, period poverty and addressing period poverty in the Caribbean and just in the world in general. Like, can you yeah. speak a bit about other barriers in, in addressing that?
1: Um, so, I mean, well, we, we touched on religion. Um, and so in, in, um, even, but I'm not too Oh, Yes. Actually all, all three ma- major religions, so Hinduism, um, Islam and Christianity, they all believe that your period blood is unclean. So I I know that for when it comes to fasting for Ramadan, um, Muslim women, if they are on their period, if they're fasting and their period comes, it's null and void. Their fasting is null and void and they have to not fast. Um for the days that they're on their period. Um in other cultures there you actually get separated from the home. Like you can't stay in the house and you have to be outside in a shed. And this is this is more common in countries in Africa. And so there was a panel I sat on recently um for menstrual hygiene day which I am you know staying away from calling it menstrual hygiene which I'll get well which I'll get to Um, but let's say menstrual health day. And there was someone from Zimbabwe who was speaking about the, like how bad it is where you can't stay in the house. Like there's literally a shed built outside for you to go to a separate bathroom. You can't use the same bathroom. Um, but like right here in Trinidad, um, in Hinduism, there are people who cannot partake in prayers, you know, um, they can't make anything in the kitchen, they literally have to stay out. And for me personally, um, growing up in a Christian background, I remember the time I went to church with my father um, and the man, there was a prayer meeting and the deacon was, I have no idea how, why was that a a topic of prayer meeting? But speaking about how women are unclean during their period and you can't take communion when you're on your period. And I was mad. I was so mad and I'm looking at him like and I'm asking, How does that make me unclean? What about it is unclean? And my father is tapping me to shut up, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I was livid. I could not believe this nonsense. Like, why is that a thing, right? It's a
0: prayer meeting when they should be pr- calling pr- pr- on the Lord. Interesting. son, right?
1: Um, and then of course there is a a major barrier um that I consider a barrier, is that the notion that your period is supposed to be painful and so many times people suffer in silence um are not going to see a doctor to know if there's a deeper problem and oftentimes there is um stuff like endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome all of that those are signs of that being wrong or, or, or adenomyosis um all of these which which causes complications with your menstrual cycle. And so when there is that belief that your period is supposed to be painful, you're going to be suffering in pain, right? Um, Workplaces, and even oftentimes when when you have a man that's your boss, um, who has no idea about menstruation, because one, he was possibly excluded from the conversation in school and Mm -hmm. failed to go look further, will not hear your cry when you just need time off right um they would be thinking that it's just the norm like you experience this every month you should be okay right and even there there are women in leadership positions who also don't experience period um painful periods so they assume that you're exaggerating and all of these little things um build up to become really awful barriers because then you have all these people who menstruate who think that it's okay to suffer and they fail to go to get proper um, assistance in the healthcare system. And then looking at the healthcare system as its own barrier. Um, right here in Trinidad, we do have gynecology units
0: that mm-hmm. are set up
1: to each health center, but are they ever like functional in a in a real way? Because when we were like during this this um, project that that I'm working on, yeah, there are so many people who we had to help like actually pay for them to go see a gynecologist because that's the other option if you don't get free healthcare, you have to pay for it but when you have to pay for it it's 400 tt right for one session um but you'd never need just one session right um and so all of these these things although seemingly little it it widens the gap um, and furthers, you know, period poverty because people just end up suffering in silence and just don't know where to turn, or don't think that it's it's a, a good move to turn anyway.
0: No, yeah, that's yeah. Those are all barriers that, like, clearly you've outlined that exist in Trinidad, but generally mm-hmm. that's the wider Caribbean. And just to pinpoint one thing that you said, like, I have so many friends in college who realize that they had a lot of conditions like PCOS and endometriosis. Mm-hmm because you were surrounded now by a lot more women like you know i went to college in the u.s and a lot of these dorm halls were mostly women so now you have way more women to compare it to and you're like well maybe my experience is a bit more painful than what i hear other people describing so you go and seek help a good friend of mine was like doubled over crying and i was like periods are a bit painful but this is on like this is not this doesn't seem okay like you know, maybe you go to the doctor and it is okay, but like, Mm -hmm. at least go and see. And she went and found out she had PCOS and Mm -hmm. now she's getting treatment for it. And it's not as painful. And I think that they're like, you're, you're absolutely right. So even the women that are in power, some of them don't Mm -hmm. experience painful periods. So it's like, okay, is it really that bad? And it's different every cycle for everyone. There are times where I feel absolutely nothing and Mm -hmm. i'm okay and well and jolly and prancing around the world and then there are times where i'm like i'm going to have to take off work like it really is no it's not the same every single time and i hope that people who don't experience periods understand that it's not a one-track situation so like have empathy
1: yes that's Um. the least of it you just have empathy i feel like that's like as a being a decent human being just have empathy
0: Thank you for that. I think that's a really good point. And um, I want to pivot now to talk about Feminite, your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a bit about Feminite and how um, the organization is trying to tackle these issues?
1: Right. So Feminite is just about a year and a half old. Um, but we've been I guess we have a really uh, strong team um, that had already been they've already been working on these issues in their own spaces and so coming together Um, just made us able to do it on a a larger scale. So basically we're dedicated to advancing gender justice here in the Caribbean through education, conversation, and social good using an intersectional Caribbean feminist lens. Um, So before I get into it, what we've noticed over time was that there was a gap between organizations that offer services to assist and then organizations who just focus on policy and advocacy. So there was a gap where people had no idea why either was needed. Mm -hmm. And that gap was education in various ways, right? Um, Thinking about having the conversation, thinking about providing the tools and resources for people to learn, um, and also creating a safe space for that to happen. And so um, we focus mainly on gender-based violence and sexual, sexual and reproductive health and rights. And one of the issues that that we've um, decided to tackle, um, which was actually pitched by um, a former member of the team, was period poverty. Mm -hmm. And we had to sit down and really examine what the state of period poverty was like here in Trinidad, because it's very important to do that, to analyze the situation first, because then... Um, you would just be doing work for yourself rather than other people. And so, yeah, so we had to consult with folks um, who have already been doing the work, but who centered their activism in just offering the products, um, (laughs) which is also great, but it's not all because it's not sustainable and people still don't understand themselves because you're just giving them, you know, a handout, quote unquote, right? And so... um, we launched the survey, the Safe Cycle survey, um, which which happened really early on in the project, and we actually were able to secure a grant from Women Deliver, um, because as a Woman Deliver fellow, we get that opportunity to apply for the, for their grants, and we were successful at getting the grant for Safe Cycle, and so it's it's divided up into three phases, and the first phase, which actually runs throughout, dealt with education, so we tackled that in various ways from having ig posts to ig conversations um to having a twitter chat um but also reaching out to persons um in schools to be able to send this content also so that they too can get it i mean the pandemic and trainer has really put a large ugly dent into what we wanted to do because now we can't actually do physical, on the work, workshops, and, and teachings, and, and just being able to be in the community to do this. So everything had to unfortunately happen online, which is its own barrier too. Yeah. Um, and well, the second phase dealt with us now actually giving the service. So we curated these period boxes, and we had these consultations with the people who were recipients Um, to assess whether or not they would have loved or wanted to go the sustainable route, which is using a reusable pad or a menstrual cup. But that in itself is also a barrier, because then it's also expecting that these people had um, clean running water constantly. And so what we've noticed was that a lot of people wanted to use it, but then they do have water three out of out of Um, the five working days of the week Mm -hmm. or four to the seven days for the week. And so when it's that time of the month, they can't readily wash their pads. They can't, you know, wash and sterilize their cups. And so people want to be sustainable, but they can't, because then the state don't really have the water running all the time. And so this, during doing that, we've noticed that this is so much bigger than just NGOs doing work. the state needs to recognize that this is an issue and and needs to um work with us right and then the final phase which we're in right now um deals with the launch of the safe cycle report and this will be a combination of all the work that we've done um for these past couple months um which is actually august would have made it a year that the safe cycle project is here and um This survey, we analysed the data, um, which really assesses the rates of period poverty here in Trinidad and also um, the stigma. So there were questions that targeted whether or not people will um, actually access um, the if if their workplaces had, um, say, period products available, if they would have accessed it and why. And what we've noticed is that... um, a lot of people would not have accessed it because Mm. there is that stigma attached to, oh my God, everybody's going to know I'm on my period. Mm. Um, And so that, and then, well, we would have conducted um, a campaign within the campaign called um, I Am Clean. And this dealt with people actually sharing their stories about menstruation, which we posted. And there were so many submissions and the thread of just getting a period just so and not knowing what it means, um to also having to experience stigma throughout be it with religion or um with men who encourage period shame or even women are encouraged period shame it ran through almost every story and it was just so i guess um sobering to see and recognize that even though it's an issue that's not at the forefront it still exists and so that is what we're trying to do. The, the, the report um, is actually um, the first step of us rooting for there to be some policy change or, or policy implementation where um, we have a food card model that's offered by the um, Ministry of Social Development. So how that works is that families in need, they have to apply for a food card, which is like a card that's topped up with money every month. Okay. um and so they assess the situation at the home to know how much money to put on it but it's not a lot of money at all right um like you get i think it's probably i'm not sure the max but i know all the people who get roughly between 400 tt and 700 tt okay. but when you have a, a family of where you have say two to three dependents and let's say they're all men straight when it comes to um like right now, the groceries have increased their prices to a ridiculous amount, right? Yeah. And that's just having to buy food. So when you're faced with the with the choice, well, not even the choice because you don't get to choose really. It's an obligation: food or period products. People, yeah, people will choose, choose to eat. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then use cloth or or socks you know and that is something that we've also seen um throughout this project they're gonna choose food and so the, the the food cards are insufficient to really cover everything and so what we're trying to push for is for there to be a period card where one um the same model that they use for people to get food cards they use it to assess people for period cards and so they top it up with enough money for them to buy period products and also um for those who may need to see a gynecologist uh, more often than others because they have a medical issue
0: mm-hmm.
1: um they they get to to have that card topped up um and i mean ideally it would have been lovely if there was um, free period products for persons in need.
0: Ideally, so taken, yes. yeah,
1: ideally, but we know <laughs> that, yeah. Um, and also for there to be a revamping of, of the, um, comprehensive sexuality education curriculum for people to learn about periods in school, um, so that they are equipped when they grow and they get it. Um, and finally, um, for there to be a, a hotline that people who menstruate can call um, with various issues that they may have um, mm. with their sexual and reproductive um, system because we have a major hospital here that, that deals, you know, the women's hospital that deals with issues like that. Yeah. But the distance of it compared to where other people may live in rural communities is quite far. Mm. And yes, you know, we, we've had people who tell us, but there's gynecology kind of units at health centers. And we have to tell them, oh, we know we're actually doing this work and people are unable to access it. So yes, you're a doctor and you know this, but there are people who can't access it because it's not exactly functional.
0: Yeah, and oftentimes they don't have the money like exactly equal access not because it's there it means people can readily just like you have to think about transportation and like exactly.
1: child care
0: if you're a stay-at-home mother all of these things that factor into that
1: yes you're spot on and this is the thing like um it's like especially if there are uh, single parent homes or even I'm not even single parent, but I mean, here in the Caribbean, we know that women have to do a lot of the care work plus mm-hmm. work. And when you have to do all of that and you have to go to the doctor, who's babysitting? right? If you need a babysitter, who have money to pay for babysitter to come? Okay. right? And then transportation. and that's the thing. so the the hotline will 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 seek to kind of bridge that gap. So at least um you get to call um, with whatever issues that you may have and they can be able to assess it. Of course, um, that is not going to um, erase the issue of probably actually needing to get health care, but it's a step. Um, and well, the period card should should um, should help. But, but those are some of the immediate solutions that we are recommending um, with this report. Those are some of the next steps that we're going to try to approach with it. Yeah. So the report was the first step.
0: Thank you for that. I think that um, myself included, and I hope I speak for my listeners, I'm really excited to to read the report. Can you talk a bit more about the report and when it drops and where it would be available and when um, our listeners and myself would be able to read that?
1: Yes. So we're excited. like I mean, nervous, but also excited. Um, but it drops on July 1st. And so it covers um, the like, the entirety of the Safe Cycle Project, as well as a little study as to what various regions and territories are doing um, to alleviate period poverty, as well as provide um, an analysis to the data we would have collected um, to show the rates of period poverty here in Trinidad, um, but also um, Discuss and explore the submissions that we would have gotten from the I Am Clean campaign. Um, so we provide the qualitative and quantitative analysis of all of this data and and what we would have been doing with Safe Cycle, as well as given giving solid, well um, hopefully solid, <laughs> um, key recommendations as to how people can now. Um, champion or to, to end period poverty in their respective regions, as well as here in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and of course, providing resources and, and references to how people can do this. Um, so it launches on the 1st of July. Um, the report will be available on issue.com. So we will be uploading it to issue so that it can be easily read as um, as the report there. And the link will be shared widely. Um, to all of our social media platforms. We're on, we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And so we're actually launching it through a webinar that's happening on the 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which will be 5 p.m. in Jamaica. And so um, this will have um, featured speakers, of course, who do work um, in this area and who also offer these services at, um, at their institutions. And, of course, we will be presenting the data that we would have covered and the importance of data, of having um, sex and age disaggregated data. I don't know what we have against data here in the Caribbean, Speak especially in it. Trinidad. Like, I don't know. We'll just be operating on vibes. <laughs> There's like, yeah. yo, we need data. Exactly. Um So hopefully this, is, this will then become that, that step for a lot of people to in doing their work to, to do that. And so the webinar, the link to the webinar, and we also have a social a social media toolkit that folks can um can even share. Um, you know, we've already launched it, but they can they can still be able to to share um that because it helps continue the conversation and center the focus. Um, and so there's the hashtag that we use on platforms called hashtag SafeCycle which helps to streamline the conversation. Sometimes you might see other tweets, people talk about cycling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That we realized after that, that people also use it for that. Um, but of course, if you say anything about period poverty, you know, it's, it's directed at us. Um, but yeah, that's the report in a nutshell.
0: Thank you. And, um, by the time our listeners are hearing this, it would have already dropped. So please, please, please go and read that. Um, I just thank you so much for the work that you do as someone who is interested in policy as well. Finding Mm -hmm. data and um, well-researched information to base policy on in the Caribbean can be very, very difficult. A lot of people's um, advocacy is just about calling out a problem. And I think that Mm. there is space and necessity for that. But I think that suggesting and proposing a well thought out data driven well researched policy option is also very good because while it might be vibes in trinidad here in jamaica the situation with the people in charge is urging the public mm-hmm. um, right you know it's 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 very interesting Um, but, um, I want to talk a bit more about, um, other kinds of work that Feminate does, um, specifically in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and offering assistance to displaced persons during the Mm -hmm. volcanic eruption. Can you speak a bit about that?
1: Sure. So when we saw, um, first of all, when we, we learned of the eruption, um, it was no, we didn't even think twice about it, that we needed to, um, rally together and send the products. And, um, we had a a connect in, in St. Vincent, um, a colleague of mine and a friend, um, who I reached out to, to figure out what are the needs, um, because she, she does a lot of work with people in St. Vincent. And, um, initially she told me, you know, um, water and all of that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. I know a lot of people would have been also donating that, not saying that you will have too much of water. But in my head, I was thinking that it would have actually been really great to send period products because that is something people never think about when it comes to relief, right? And I didn't even say it to her. She called me back, like, right after we spoke. And she was like, you know, um, can y'all send period products instead? And I was like, of course. (laughs) Of course, of course, of course. I mean, we did send um, water also. But immediately... Um, we would have shared about it on our platforms, and people started calling and donating and we don't have an office, so everything is packed up in um in our apartment here, mm-hmm. or like there were so many boxes and so many products people were so willing to give, and then we got it um shipped out to them and you know. If it's one thing when it comes to being displaced and have because of of a natural disaster or whatever uh, might be the cause, we realize that it, there's always a gap in how people respond, and they never really think about um, there are women and girls and people who menstruate who exactly. will need these products, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, it's it's important to give like single use pads. So there was someone who actually contacted us wanting to to donate um, cups and reusable pads. I'm really like, first of all, can you think about yeah. it? That where would to wash
0: water. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly, and especially in this context of of the um of the eruption where water supply had to cut off because the ash is getting into the into the um, pipelines and stuff. Yeah where how are they getting even clean water um and so we really had to tailor that messaging for people to um yes of course the environment yes sustainability is is the way but it's it's not the most accessible way it's actually a privilege you know to be able to use sustainable products and not have to worry about where water is coming from and so um here in the in the Caribbean, um, and we're really hoping to be able to extend Safe Cycle to other countries um, and partner with organisations that are probably doing the work there to um, help them then actually advocate for, for policy change too. Because it's all well and good to be giving products, but how long you will give products too? That's like you know. I think the goal of NGOs should be to no longer be relevant in time. <laughs> like,
0: Just say it one more time. One more time <laughs> for the crowd.
1: Right. Like NGOs, like if you if your work, um, you intend to be relevant in ten years, then you really yeah. need to think about it and why you're doing it because There's nobody not wanna doing it correctly. Yeah, you're not doing it correctly and you're not centering the people who actually need it because they don't want to be going through this. I honestly I would love for all of these issues that we advocate for to just no longer exist, and we talk about it like in the past. Like, do you remember when we had to do this? Yeah. Um,
0: like that's 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 something I dream of. Like, do you remember when we had to actually buy period products? How crazy was that? that, that yes. Free because this is something I have absolutely no control over.
1: Yeah, of course. And then like we also um we'll do work in in um. Ending gender-based violence and transforming that culture, and that is something we love to look back like. Do you remember like when we literally had to be afraid of walking on the street, and that no longer be a thing, right? Um, but I mean, it's a sad thing because a lot of activists and NGOs don't don't approach things like that, and so there are people who do it and there's a savior complex involved where it's like, okay, I'm here to save you. I am your voice. If you know how I hate to hear that a lot of times, <laughs> like, let me be up. A- no, they have one. And even for people who, who are unable to speak and hear, you know, who don't have that ability, um, we, their issues, they communicate in various ways and it's up to us it is our duty because we are actually in service to people which i think people don't recognize you know they don't recognize that we not we're no one's boss we are actually working for people we are in service to others and so if we aren't doing it correctly they and ourselves must hold you know, the work accountable and what we're doing accountable and then go back to the drawing board because if you're not centering the voices that you're working for, if you're making decisions on behalf of them without consulting them, you're centering yourself and why?
0: Just, that's not what the work is about. It's about using the privilege that you have, being elected, yeah. or being an organization, or having visibility <clears throat> to amplify those people's mm-hmm. voices. It's not about you taking the mic and saying, "Well, they told me that they need." No, it's fine. <laughs> you can just let them talk. Like they have, they can. Exactly. They can say what they want to say. They can write it. They can sign it. However, they can yes. they can speak for themselves in whichever way they they choose to. And I'm really glad that you um you also uh, brought up hopefully having gender-based violence as something something of the past because because I absolutely agree can Mm -hmm. you talk a bit about feminist um feminists work um um in organizing that protest that occurred uh during um in Trinidad and Tobago when that woman and I'm really sorry that her name is escaping me and if you do Mm -hmm. know it please make mention of it when she went missing um and what the outcome of that was
1: right so you know the thing is is that there were two women that went missing very close to each other um very similar um ways um and so there was one um Ashanti Riley um yes. and that was back in December and that rocked the nation but I mean this is also a whole other conversation about how and a lot of people tend to shy away from it because oh my God it makes me uncomfortable or why are you even having that but there's a reaction that 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 um I realize the world has and and let's talk about Trinidad the reaction that Trinidad has when the type of person that goes missing and so when Ashanti went missing Ashanti was a young black girl um also the pictures that were circulated of her by the media um. Was nothing's wrong with the picture, but in comparison, looking at how you know um, someone who goes missing of um, East Indian descent um, that that's not black, it's always different. The picture that was circulated of of um, Andrea was in her um, her graduation gown, and mm. so the reaction of the public it was it was really different. When, when Andrea when um Ashanti passed, um of course her family had um there were people who had like, you know, driving protests and stuff. But we hosted a protest, um, and that was on Human Rights Day, um, yeah. as the end of sixty days of activism. And the turnout was quite I mean, it, it was low. Um, it was also like that only protest that actually happened. And then months later, I mean a lot of people have credited it for the breaking point, but I think it's always important to examine what 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 um, contributes to a breaking point, you know. Um, and so there were many conversations and around how um, Andrea was infantilized, like she was 23, but people still kept calling her a child. Um, but Ashanti was 18, and that wasn't the center of the conversation. And so it's yeah. it's really interesting. It's also really heartbreaking because people don't want to have the conversation. Because oh my God, why are you bringing race into this? But it, we need to. Race is a thread that runs through everything, and we have to pay attention to these issues. So that is one thing that we have been um, looking at through our advocacy, um, through the protests um, this year. When when um, Andrea passed and um, she was killed, um, there were organizations that we partnered with, so we didn't operate solely. Because there were a lot of people who, there were um, a lot of protests which um, caught attention internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were, this is the first time it has ever happened, right? Mind you, um, when you look at the rates of gender based violence here in Trinidad, it literally looks the same every year. Mm -hmm. And so there was this chilling report that one of our media houses did um, that did the same kind of cover layout from 2016 when it was um, 40 plus women killed. And they'd use the same layout, which was a a collage on the front and the back page of all their pictures of each woman. And a lot of people keep thinking, oh, gender-based violence is new. But then in 1990, there was a whole um, front page that spoke about um, women under siege and and war on women and and how many rapes happened and so this is not a new issue at all um, and so we've been trying to center that and and through that um, that collaboration that we had this year um, we would have put out a set of demands and really call on the on the state to um, implement a, like a transit authority, because there actually isn't, um, there isn't really, what you call it, a body that regulates um, Mm -hmm. specifically when it comes to um, the transport system. So having um, the Ministry of Works to have incentives for educational campaigns, um, to look at how um, taxis are registered in rural communities, because oftentimes anybody could actually get a, a taxi template and um, there are also people who mm. have unregistered vehicles that mm. operate as taxis, and those are private taxis. So they just ups and go on the, on the on the taxi stand and have a taxi. But because it's not something that's exactly regulated and you can check, oh, I wonder if this taxi is actually registered, um, you want to get home. So that's like the last thing you're thinking about. Um, and so that also police reform, because, I mean, this is something that happens in almost every, country where the police doesn't don't take issues seriously. And so you go report and then they just don't do anything. Yeah. They say they don't have cars to, to go to the scene, but they will only show up if someone's dead. Um and so those were the, the things we were pushing for. And of course the government's response was was giving um their response to all of all of this that has been happening was well you you can get um pepper spray apply for a pepper spray permit and yeah a permit, we've, we've solved the problem not
0: that accessible to begin with exactly
1: exactly and then they were also saying more women should apply for gun permits which that in itself yes it's,
0: it's yeah there are a like, lot of things even that get people the gun. are suggesting that are just in like there are a lot of barriers to the things that you're suggesting because i know someone said well only take reputable private taxes what if I can't afford that then what you know and I think that plays into what you were speaking about with with Ashanti and Andrea just like Mm -hmm. who deserves justice and Mm. what that looks like based on race and class and all of these complicated factors and who police respond to and who the mm-hmm. media treats a certain way. And um, I think it's it's really interesting. And just my unpopular opinion of the day, police don't prevent crime, they show up after it's done.
1: Exactly. Um, that is true. But just um,
0: lastly, can you talk about the importance of addressing issues in the Caribbean region through a feminist and, dare I say, intersectional feminist lens? Yes.
1: Yes. Listen, it's... it's- <clears throat> <laughs> feminist leadership and and having a gender transformative approach is important because then it ensures that it assesses the situation as how it affects people differently and so that's the thing about intersectionality um we as people exist in many various ways like you can literally strip one human being apart and assess each of their identities and how that transform their experiences and so just for, for those who are listening intersectionality looks at how more than one identity overlaps to create various experiences. So looking at people in your community, so yes, you might be Black, yes, you might be queer, but also you might have a job and someone else may not have a job. And so even when you when you think of, of um, being able to afford things, um, that differs and it, it helps you to recognize your privilege and privilege not being something that is just about, oh, I'm rich and somebody is poor, but once you have an advantage over someone else you have a privilege and having that approach having a feminist approach um it's not just about equality but it's about equity it's about looking at all of these systems in the way that they are rooted in power and control and then redistributing that power in a way that helps to center other people's experiences and bring about having rights and um Proper accessibility to vulnerable and marginalized communities. And that is really the direction that we have to go because then it looks at things through a gender lens. It ensures that people um, are centered and and are given the tools that they need to have um, a quality standard of living. Um, And the the alternative to that is what we're living in now, is why people can be in a pandemic, see how inequalities. are now showing its head if people weren't seeing it before and That's still it. talk about we can't wait to go back to normal. That, is, that actually you know scares how that is. me.
0: Like you yeah. see it, ex- like the deep underbelly of all of these inequalities are mm-hmm. so exposed and you can see it so much more clearly. I don't know how you weren't seeing it before, but if you weren't, now you're actually seeing it and everyone is, oh, just can't wait to get back to what we were doing before. That was ratchet. No, we don't need yeah. to do that at all like ever we don't need to go backwards it's really about understanding and looking at people holistically because I think that you're I think that you're absolutely right I think that there are lots of people who will say well we all live in the same country and we go through the same thing and like you know like there are lots of people on the Twitterverse that will say, Well, for example, Jamaica like Jamaica's one big patty shop. Well the patty shop look different for everybody else. Like if you have a lot of money or if you're you're a certain hue, the patty mm-hmm. shop look a little different for you than it does exactly. for someone who is living in a certain neighborhood, you mm-hmm. know, like we yeah. might all be living in the same places, but our experience, we might all even be a majority black people, but the amount of money we have and where we live and what we, what we do and how we sound like everything mm-hmm. plays into, into your experiences in society.
1: Yeah. And and that's something we like, I remember someone t- Oh my God, listen, I had, um, one of my final courses to say, which, which was, um, Caribbean literary masters fiction, and my lecturer mm-hmm. was telling me that colorism, she's like, that doesn't exist in the Caribbean. I mean, we've grown. Oh, dear. And I'm looking at, listen, I was mad. I, I got really angry because this is a racially ambiguous woman, light-skinned, telling me wow. a class of mostly black women this nonsense and there were students in class who were I don't know how they didn't break down literally pleading with her like miss I do not experience I don't have access to a lot of things because of my skin color we are followed in supermarkets and, and even just thinking about um how you know various people look at you and and just Everything about it, and she's saying that it doesn't exist in the Caribbean. And I'm looking at her like, are you serious right now? No, like right, and
0: racism, like colorism, yes. all of that all exists. Of it, like you it, know, like if anywhere, definitely the Caribbean where there are a minority it. of people that look a certain way and live in mm-hmm. certain neighborhoods, like that's absolutely ridiculous. And of course, she would like it's on brand for somebody who looks like her to say that. Exactly,
1: um, right? Exactly. And so issues like that and a lot of people center their activism. I mean, oh God, that's a whole other thing about, um, and that's a problem for me, I think, when it comes to um, seemingly like spaces that brand themselves as, femi- as feminist, but it's like brunch feminism. So it's like- Wow. you, you know, Can we
0: take an Oprah pause <laughs> on brunch feminism because I will be <laughs> tweeting that later and I'll tag you. <laughs>
1: You know, so it's like, oh my God, we're gonna have these uh spritzers, and we're gonna talk about all of the poor people and their issues. But you know, hashtag grill boss and power, whatever. <laughs> because like, yeah, like, have you seen what um, what what Kathy did? did? Like, oh my God, let's let's talk about it. Nice. And it's just really, wow. I it's <laughs> it's just a real chilling experience because then a lot of people will then think, oh. Well, if that's what feminism is. And they're so loud, too. And they pick up a lot of space.
0: They do. And, and they're <laughs> loud. And the brunches are every Sunday. And they're talking about <laughs> poor people in spaces poor people have absolutely no access to.
1: Exactly. Because they... Like, we're doing such a- ex- Like,
0: giving themselves pats on the back. Like, we're doing such a great job helping the poor people of this country. Aren't we amazing? <laughs> Somebody passed the watercress sandwich. Come on,
1: man. Yes. Like, where did you get the ingredients? Oh, my God. Like, listen. It's just... And, and you know, like, when I think about um, the cost of these spaces, um, also the location of it, um, it, it it really begs you to think, um, who who is it for? And then when you go, I, I've stopped, I mean, I'm glad, I mean, the pandemic has, has also put a pause on events, but I sat down for years, right? Um, and luckily, I, I ended up not having to ever pay for these things. Um but that's also my privilege because of of um you know there's people inviting me so I get to go for free. Otherwise mm-hmm. I wouldn't get to I wasn't able to afford it. I literally um started like before all of this volunteering to get into like volunteering so I won't have to I don't I can't afford these tickets. Um and so mm-hmm. I yes I wanna hear, I wanna learn. But I can't afford to hear and learn. And 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 unfortunately we end up going back to, to um, how white feminism started and, and the whole idea about voting for women. Yeah. When people just think that, oh yeah, vote for women were for, was for all women. It was not. Black women years later, then were able to vote because they didn't meet the criteria. They didn't have the education that was required of them. Yeah. And it's just sad because the very thing that we're trying to say, we're re-bra- re- re- rebranding we end up just falling into into that. It's just packaged a, a seemingly different way. Um and it's sad, right? Because they always um pick up lots of space.
0: Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think on a more positive ending note, there are yes. organizations like feminine that exist that's doing amazing, amazing work. So for one, I want to thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for your time and all of, um, and all of the the activism and and um, and all of that because this is extremely extremely important work. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate that.
1: I really appreciate you, and thank you for that.
0: Um, no worries um, and this has been another episode of the Checkmate Political Podcast by Tenement Yard Media don't forget to check us out on social media and share the podcast with a friend and go and find that Feminine Report and read it um, and definitely connect always yeah. right over my look over here.
1: I'm with the brightest light And I'll shine upon you, them God, the them blind God, they are so for truth and right They are so for truth and right And until the day that my soul takes flight Babylon will hear my voice God, they are so for truth and right